book of Ephesians. We're jumping back into the book we've been studying this fall. This letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the area of Ephesus. A few weeks ago we covered the first ten verses of chapter 2. And so we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 11 of chapter 2. If you're in those red Bibles around you, you'll find our passage beginning on page 976 and then going on to page 977. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Let's pray together. Our father. As we've just read about the work of the Holy Spirit, we come and ask for that same Holy Spirit to be at work in us today, right here in these moments. Help us, Father, to see wonderful things from your word. Take your word and impress it on our hearts and minds. Father, help us to understand the reconciliation that we have with you through the Lord Jesus Christ and how that makes a difference for the reconciliation we are to have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hostility. It's a fact of life. For some, it's a way of life. But for all of us living on this side of the fall, in this broken and fallen world, hostility, conflict is a fact of life. We have hostility and conflict in lots of different aspects of our relationships with our spouses, with our friends, with our extended family, at work, with our governing officials, with our doctors, with our patients, and sometimes even with God Himself. And even between Christians... Sometimes especially so. Those brothers and sisters in Christ who come from different traditions or different theological places on the spectrum. Sometimes even within the same church there can be hostility and conflict. And the only thing that's encouraging about that 
is that it's nothing new. It's been around a long time. It's even recorded for us in the Bible. All we have to do is just remind ourselves of one of the New Testament books, the book of Acts, as it records the beginning history of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 6, we read about division, hostility between God's people, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews in the Jerusalem church. And how it led to conflict in terms of how their various uh, respected people were being cared for. And one of the results of that conflict was the first diaconate, the first creation of the board of deacons. Or just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 10, we read about Peter, a Jew, being called by God to go to a Gentile family, that of Cornelius, and to share the gospel with them. And Peter was reluctant at first. In his own words, as he's speaking to Cornelius, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter, having to deal with hostility in his own heart and mind, and going into the home of a Gentile, Cornelius, and to share the gospel... We know that that wasn't something that Peter uh, overcame. That hostility wasn't something that he overcame immediately because we read in Galatians chapter 2 that later on Peter fell back into some of his racist ideas and began to pull away from his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. Just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 15 we read about another time of division and hostility between the Jewish and Gentile Christians in the first century. Which ended up leading to some hostility theologically and questions about how to relate to one another, divisions. And us Presbyterians like to refer to that chapter as the first Presbytery meeting that took place as God called his people together to deal with that division and hostility. We can also think about the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, a prophet of God called to go to a pagan country, to the city of Nineveh. To bring the word of God to the people there. And initially Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to be with those people. So he ran the other way. But God got a hold of him and brought him to Nineveh. And he told the people of God and they responded favorably. Putting faith in God. And Jonah was upset. I knew you were going to do that God, he says. Hostility. Conflict. Even within the church. It's been a part of life since the fall in the Garden of Eden. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to just accept it as norm. God's people are called to root out hostility. We know that all hostility and conflict will come to an end when Jesus returns. But between then and now, God calls His people to be at work rooting out hostility In our lives, every single Christian has the responsibility of knowing what God is doing in building up his church and then being used by God to play a role in rooting out hostility in our midst. That's what Paul's talking about here in the last half of Ephesians. Several weeks ago, we looked at the first half of chapter two in this wonderful explanation of the gospel of grace as Paul was reminding the Ephesian Christians that they have the forgiveness of their sins by grace through faith in Christ alone. 
That their acceptance and their standing before God was based on grace alone and not any of their own good works. And he finishes those verses in nine, uh, 8, 9, and 10 by telling them that even though they've been saved by grace, now because of what God has done for them, they are to be moved to a life of good works which God has prepared for them to do. This last half of chapter 2, he's giving them one of these good works that they are to be pursuing. That they are to be pursuing peace with their brothers and sisters in Christ, rooting out hostility and conflict, especially between other believers in Christ. And Paul is giving us here a picture of what God is doing and how God is doing that and then helping us to understand what that means for us. So first of all, let's look and see what he tells them about what God is doing. He gives them a picture of how God is building up his church. And then he gives them another picture of how he is tearing down or breaking down walls of hostility. Look, look first at what God is doing in this picture, these pictures that Paul gives us of how God is building up his church. We get that in verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, he says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Do you see these three pictures of how God is building his people, forming and shaping his people? The first picture is is a civics picture or a political picture. He says in the beginning of verse 19, you once were strangers, you once were aliens, you were outsiders, you were sojourners. You had come from other places, but now... Through Jesus Christ, you are God's people. And in Christ, you have been made citizens in God's kingdom. You now have a place to belong. He says not only that, but you also are fellow citizens with the saints. That along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we now are a part of the kingdom of God together. He gives them not only this civics political picture, but he gives them a picture of family as well at the end of verse 19. He says, not only are you fellow citizens with the saints of the kingdom of God, but he says you are also members of the household of God. It's it's adoption language that he's using here. You once were not a part of the family. But God has adopted and brought you into his family. And now you are one of the children of God with all of the privileges and the rights and the responsibilities of being in God's family. In the ancient Roman culture, to be a member of a household meant that you had protection and provision, refuge and security. And Paul is helping them to see that we are now have those same blessings by being a part of the family of God being adopted in as his very children. And then the third picture that he gives is in verses 20 through 22. Not only a civics or a political picture and a family picture, but it's a religious picture of of what God is doing as well. He says, you are a part of a holy temple of the Lord that is being built together. You, along with other Christians, are the building blocks of this temple, this dwelling place of God. God is building it, and He is building it on the foundation of Jesus Christ Himself, who is the cornerstone. He is the one who bears its weight and holds it together. It is a place that is not complete yet. 
It's under construction and it's growing. It's a place of God's dwelling by the Holy Spirit. That's that's what God's doing. He's building up his church such that we are now part of his kingdom and part of his family. And we are actually a place of his own dwelling, a temple of the Lord. But notice Paul also tells them that God is not only building something, he's also tearing something down. We see that in verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is Paul talking about there? Most commentators believe that Paul is speaking about the Old Testament Mosaic Law. That that Old Testament law with all of the, the food requirements and the Sabbath restrictions and circumcision, all of these things that kept Israel separate from all of the other nations around them. And even though the law, God's law itself, is not evil or bad in itself, the way that the people viewed it or treated it caused problems. It caused the Jews to consider themselves better than everybody else, to look down on everyone else. They were the holy ones. So they would have contempt on those who were not part of Israel. It also caused the Gentiles to have contempt toward the Israelites, seeing them as these arrogant people, causing them to feel excluded. Some of the commentators think that Paul might also here be referring to the literal wall in the Old Testament tabernacle or temple that separated where the Gentiles could go from where the Israelites could go. And Paul is saying God, through his work, is breaking down these walls of hostility between his people, ending the hostility and conflict and bringing peace even between people who are very different from one another. Several weeks ago, I had lunch with someone who's becoming a new friend of mine. His name's Tier Webster. Tier is a Christian leader in our community, and he heads up a ministry here in town called Next Chapter Ministries. It's a ministry that was started a long time ago to help people transition out of the jail and prison world into regular society. It's the second time that Tier and I have gotten together, and we had lunch this last time. And uh, I just started asking him questions about his story to get to know his background better. And at the end of that lunch, I came away feeling like we couldn't be more different. Tier grew up in South Minneapolis. Uh, He grew up in a broken home. He describes himself as ethnically African-American, Hispanic, and white. His mom and dad got divorced when he was five years old. When he was growing up, his biological father was an actual pimp in Minneapolis. He was introduced to drugs at an early age and became addicted. At some point, he took up boxing as a sport and he got really good at it. And at one point, he was at a party and got in a fight with someone. And because of his specific training in boxing, he was... was, convicted of a crime and served time in jail. When he got out of jail, he decided to move to Las Vegas to follow in his father's footsteps. But God got a hold of Tier. And he redeemed him. He explained God's grace to him. And Tier put his faith in Christ and was reconciled with his heavenly father. Became a pastor in the Twin Cities. Eventually, 
moved down to Rochester to marry a pastor's daughter. And now heading up next chapter ministries. Tierra and I couldn't be more different. Our backgrounds, our upbringings, our family situation, our ethnicities, our lifestyles, our faith backgrounds. There's almost no reason why we should have any connection with one another. Almost no reason why we should relate to one another. Almost no reason why we should ever become friends. But at lunch a few weeks ago, we spent time praying together. Because we're brothers in Christ. And that connection transcends all of the differences that we have. All of the ways that we can't relate. We have a connection that links us together. That transcends all of those things. It's truly a work of God. It's what God is doing. He is building His kingdom. He is building His family. He is building His holy temple. And He is tearing down the walls of hostility. And Paul shows us not only that that is what God is doing, he shows us how he is doing it. You can see that in verses 14 through 18. God is doing it first and foremost by reconciling people with himself. A vertical reconciliation. You can see that in verse 16. At the end of verse 15 he says, That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You notice in this passage, he's talking about the fact that God reconciles himself with his people. It's something that everyone needs. The Jews need it and the Gentiles need it. That's how he began in verses 11 through 13, talking about the Gentiles. He tells them, remember, remember what you were like. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from God's people. You were strangers to God's covenant promises. And you were without hope and without God in this world. And you Jews, you have many blessings. You've been the insiders. You've been God's chosen people. You have the law and all of these wonderful blessings. But you too need Christ. I think in a way, what he's describing here is both the older brother and the younger brother. They both need faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They both need reconciliation with God through Christ. All of us are on equal levels in terms of our need for reconciliation with our Father in heaven. And notice he tells us how he does it as well, how it's accomplished. He says in verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Or verse 16, reconcile us both in God, in one body, how? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The way that God accomplishes the reconciliation that is needed between God and His people is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the cross. It's by the blood of Christ. It's in Christ Jesus. It's the only way that there is reconciliation between God and His people. God reconciles his people with himself through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished for us. And notice what Paul says. It is by being killed on the cross that Jesus killed the hostility between God and man. What 
God is doing and accomplishing the, the picture that he gives us in verses 19 through 22 is through the vertical reconciliation of reconciling us as his people to himself. But what I want you to also see is that vertical reconciliation that we have between God and ourselves through Jesus has horizontal, horizontal implications. That's Paul is getting at here in verses 14 and following. The result of Jesus killing the hostility through the cross by his blood between God and his people is that God's people are no longer to have the dividing wall of hostility between themselves. That's what he's getting at in verses 14 and 15. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Paul says that because of what Christ came and did, he abolished the commandments through the ordinances. Now, what does that mean? He's not saying that God's word, God's law has no uh, importance or bearing on us anymore. But what he's saying is that Christ fulfilled all of the requirements of the law for all of his people, Jew or Gentile. We all have the same access, the same road to our father in heaven. So we no longer have the law as dividing us as a wall of hostility. Christ has finished and accomplished and fulfilled all of the law for us. So now, Paul says, we have a new reality. Now we are one new people in place of two. Now we not only have peace with God, we have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or to state it another way, because we are united to Christ individually, we are united to one another corporately. Whether we feel like it or not. We are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. We are fellow members of God's household. We are fellow stones in God's temple. And as we start to understand and see not only what God is doing, but how he is doing it, we will start to see a couple of ways that that ought to impact how we live. The first thing is we should be remembering. That's actually what Paul says the very first thing he tells them in verse 11. Therefore, based on everything I've just said in verses 1 through 10, Paul says, because of the gospel, because of my grace, therefore, remember. He says it again at the beginning of verse 12. Remember. Remember what? He points them back. Remember what you were like. Remember the work that I've done in your life. Remember that you were separated from Christ, that you were separated from God's people, that you were aliens, you were strangers to God's covenant promises. Remember what you were like and remember that I am a God of all grace and mercy and I have reconciled you to myself. It's actually a common command in the scriptures. God's people are regularly called to remember God's work in the past, in their own lives and in his people in general. If you think about it, that's the reason why they were given the Passover. They are to do that in rem, rem, to remind them to, as a remembrance of what God had done in rescuing them out of Egypt. It's also why part of the reason why we have the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering is important for God's people. First of all, 
because it helps us to understand the gospel and God's work in our lives in ever-deepening ways. Can I give you just a couple of personal examples uh, from my own life about uh, how that works itself out? I grew up in a Christian family. And for most of my upbringing, I knew the story of how uh, my mom's side of the family had a strong Christian faith and that had filtered its way down even into my own life and how they helped start a, a PCA congregation in our hometown that the Lord used as a way of drawing both Stephanie and myself to Himself. But as I got older and as I heard more of the story, I began to hear about how it was actually my grandfather on my father's side who was a Presbyterian pastor who led my grandfather on my mother's side to the Lord that then was used to help our family believe and to follow the gospel. The more that you understand how God has been at work in your past, how God has been at work in the past of His people, the more you can see the beauty of the gospel. You can see the breadth and the depth of it. Or another way, it seems like the older I get, the more I see my sin. It's not necessarily there that it wasn't that it wasn't there before. But as I grow in my understanding of God's word and, and who he is, and I grow in my understanding myself, I see my sin in ever growing ways. But as I understand that more, it helps us it helps me to understand God's grace in ever increasing ways. His grace that is sufficient. You see, the more that we understand and see what God is doing in the past and remember who we were and where we were and how God rescued us and redeemed us, the more that we will see His grace and mercy and understand it. But it's not just, remembering is not important just so we'll understand the gospel better. It's also so that we'll be more humble. It reminds us as we remember, I'm no better than anybody else. All of us need Christ. All of us need reconciliation with the Lord. We all were outsiders in some way. Older or younger brothers. And the Lord brought us in. Even if you are a covenant child who has grown up knowing and loving the Lord from as early as you can remember. God has placed you in a family and He has placed you in a, in a place where you're hearing the gospel. And that should cause you to be humble and never arrogant. It doesn't matter what our story looks like. Maybe we've only been a Christian for a short period of time. Maybe we've been a Christian for many, many years. Maybe we don't even remember a time when we didn't love and serve the Lord. But all of us are called to remember, to reflect, to call to mind, and to spend time thinking about God's work in our lives. Can I give you just one way that we can do that? Making use of the means of grace. Opening up the Word of God and learning and relearning and relearning the wonderful story of how God has been pursuing His people faithfully, persistently. Or gathering together to worship corporately with God's people as we together remind ourselves of the wonderful stories of God's grace and mercy and come around the table to remember God's work on our behalf. Spending time in fellowship and community with one another as we share what God is doing not only in our own lives, but what God has been doing in the history of His people with one another. Simply making use of the, the normal, ordinary means of grace that God has given to us. 
A second thing for us to be doing and thinking about, and finally this morning, not only are we called to remember, we're also called to reconcile. Because God has reconciled His people with Himself, His people are called to be reconciled with one another. The basis for that, as Paul's given it to us here, is nothing less than the gospel. It is because God's grace to us personally removes the wall of hostility between Him and us that we are to pursue tearing down the walls of hostility between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter whether we see ourselves as an older or younger brother, whether we're new to Christianity or whether it's all we've ever known, whether we've been at this church for decades or whether we're just coming for the first time. If we are in Christ, we all need and get the same gospel and the same grace. We all have peace with God and the removal of hostility and conflict with God through Jesus. And that then becomes the basis for the peace that we are to have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The extent of that tearing down the wall and hostility is that there should be no barriers There should be no walls or hostility between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. That means no racial or ethnic barriers, no economic barriers, no vocational barriers, no political barriers. And even with the non-essential things, no theological barriers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, united to Jesus Christ Before all of those other things. It's not that those things are unimportant. They are important things. But they are less important than the relationship that we have with Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be best friends with every Christian we meet. But it does mean that if we are united to Christ through faith. That we are united to one another. And so we ought to be reconciled with one another. So the practice of that, how does it look? How does it look for this to become more and more a reality in our lives? Well, I think it makes sense. It's kind of obvious that to do this, we have to spend time with one another. We have to spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ in fellowship and community. And can I just say that spending an hour and a half on a Sunday, two or three times or less a month won't work. God is calling us as God's people to be In community and fellowship with one another. And that means we ought to be spending time together in in our homes and in small groups and serving together. And not just people from this congregation, but with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the city. Finding time to serve together, to eat together, to pray together. I think we had a wonderful picture of that recently. With the tragic death of Daniel Parney, brothers and sisters in Christ around this city coming together to grieve together, to pray together, to serve the Parney family together. That's a picture of, of what Paul is talking about here. Can I give you just one way to put this into practice? Find a Christian brother or sister in Christ who is very different from you. And get to know them. Become a friend. Genuine friend. Despite your differences. Because of being united together in Christ Jesus. 
And lastly, just one word about the limitations of reconciliation between us and brothers and sisters in Christ. Until Jesus comes back or takes us to be with Him, there are going to be limits to our efforts of reconciliation. We can only do our part. True biblical reconciliation between God's people requires both sides. And I think that's one reason why Paul said in Romans 12, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't force reconciliation if the other side doesn't want it. But what you're called to do, what I am called to do, is our part and to leave the rest to the Lord. So what Paul is saying here is that hostility is a fact of life in this fallen and broken world. It's going to be that way until the Lord returns and brings it to an end and completion. And between now and then, God is calling us to understand what He is doing and to be equipped by Him to be about the business of rooting out hostility in our midst. And what is God doing? He is, he is building us into His people, taking strangers and outsiders and making us to be part of His kingdom. He is adopting us into His family and making us children with rights and privileges and responsibilities of the family of God. And He's forming us, each one of us, a rock, a stone in the holy temple that He is building with Jesus as our cornerstone. And He's tearing down the walls of hostility. The wall of hostility between He and us and between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Doing that both vertically and horizontally. And so we as God's people are called to remember. And we're called to be about the business of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and, and on the one hand we celebrate the story of how you have reconciled us to yourself through Jesus, through the gospel. And on the other hand, Father, we, we tremble at the call for us to be about the business and about the work of you using us to be tearing down the walls of hostility that we have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Ones that we may feel we're so different from, maybe with almost nothing in common except our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father, that you would help us, help us even this week, to be reminded of this wonderful story of you reconciling us to yourself. But also, Father, that you would give us opportunities and bring our minds to see those opportunities where we can truly be about the business of reconciling with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, those of us in the Reformed faith believe that the Bible teaches us that Jesus is present here in the Lord's Supper. Really, spiritually. We don't believe that the elements turn in literally to the body and blood of Jesus. We don't believe that somehow in a, some literal way Jesus' presence is here around and above and under the elements. And we don't just believe that what we're doing is a memorial or just a remembrance. It is that. We do come here to remember. 
The bread points us to Christ's body given for us. And the cup points us to Christ's blood that is shed for us. But we believe not only is it a remembrance, we also believe that Christ is really and truly but spiritually present in our midst. As we come in faith, united to to Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit is at work, taking our eating and our drinking and strengthening our faith so that we can go out as His people to live as He calls us to live. There's mystery here. And that's one of the reasons why we always try to mention who should partake and who should allow the elements to pass by. Paul says that if we come to this table, the Lord's Supper, without faith, without believing and trusting in Christ alone, or in just open rebellion against God, that it's a serious issue, that it's not good for us to do that. That's the warning that he gives in 1 Corinthians 11. But as we come to this table in faith, as we have professed our faith in Christ publicly at Trinity or another church that believes and teaches the gospel by grace alone and Christ alone, then we are coming together knowing that we've been reconciled to our Heavenly Father and knowing that we have reconciliation with one another because of our common commitment and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you've made that public profession of faith in Christ, you are trusting in Him alone for your salvation, you've made that public uh, uh, confession of your faith, then as the elements are coming around, eat and drink and be reminded of all of Christ that Christ has done for you and know that as you come in faith that the Holy Spirit's at work taking what we're doing here and using it to strengthen you, to send you out to live for His glory this week to come. Let's pause and thank Him for giving us this table. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come, especially in this week of Thanksgiving, to give you our thanks. We are so thankful for the grace and mercy that you have shown to us in Christ. Thank you for his body given for us, his blood shed for us. As we remember this wonderful grace and mercy, I pray, Father, that you would be at work Not only helping us to remember and to see your grace in ever deepening and beautiful ways. But Father also strengthening us in our resolve and our desire, our motivation. To have reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you do this Father for your glory and for the building up of your church. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. On the night on which he was betrayed Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he gave it to his disciples. As I ministering his name, give it to you. And he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.